Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Our first two seasons are dedicated to Ted Lasso. Join us as we unpack the leadership lessons in each episode. Let's get into it. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are talking about season two, episode eight of Ted Lasso, which is the Man City episode. So um, we know that you love watching Ted Lasso like we do for all of the interpersonal uh, growth journeys. However, there's occasionally some soccer that happens. And so this is actually one of those big, uh, uh, big games, big moments in the season both uh, TV episode season as well as like sort of their their soccer season, their football season. So they are in the semifinals and they're going to be playing Man City. And a little just reminder for those um, those folks that forgot, Man City is a big deal, not only because it's a very, it's a great, talented team, but also it's the team that Jamie was traded to last season when Rebecca was still sort of in her saboteur mode and also when... Uh, Ted was trying to break through to Jamie and he had just gotten through to him and then he he got traded. So, um, but now Jamie's back with Richmond. We love it. He's, he's shown a lot of personal growth, but here we are semifinals, big game, a uh, lot of pressure. They're playing at Wembley stadium, which is huge. It's a bigger arena, a bigger crowd. So the pressure is really on in this game. Um, I'll get to the punchline. Basically they get destroyed. <laughs> they lose, I think like five, <laughs> Five nothing. Um, it's it's, ugly. it's it's really ugly. It's really painful um, for many many reasons. The team is just destroyed emotionally afterwards. The coaching staff is also coming a little unraveled. Um, so there's that. There's also a there's also a storyline with Jamie and his dad because of this big game. Jamie's dad, who, mind you, is a Man City fan, not a Jamie Tart fan, but a Man City fan, happens to wear the Jamie Tart uh, jersey when, but it's the Man City jersey, not even the Richmond one. Anyway, so is he rooting for his son? Yes or no? <laughs> not really. Um, begs him for tickets for him and his friends. We see how he just basically is like, take, 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 take. Um, and it comes to head in the locker room near the end. So there's a bunch of things we want to talk about here, but I'll stop there with the recap and ask you, Kara, where would you like to dig into? Well, I think that the first thing that we should dig into. So another thing that happens inside of this episode is Dr. Sharon gets hit by a car. So that's how the episode starts. And it's a moment of vulnerability for her. There's this really great scene where she's on the phone with her therapist and she's really frustrated about, about Ted. And so she says, uh, you know, like this, this person that I'm working with, he won't let me get close to him. And her therapist, which is a really interesting nod, because if you are in a service position, just know you also need to you need to have help yourself, right? Like a therapist needs a therapist, someone who's in HR, you need somebody to talk to as well. So she's modeling good behavior there. And so the therapist said, so you mean Ted uses humor to deflect like you use your intelligence to deflect. 
So uh, this, this thing that we always talk about is that the things that we don't like about ourselves, we usually see in other people. It's a good example of that where she's like, I don't want anyone getting close to me. Ted doesn't really want anyone getting close to him and it's driving her crazy. So um, we see a really interesting transition in their relationship there where she actually lets Ted in and they have a, have like a vulnerable moment. So I know you didn't know we were going to go here, but what were some things in your professional life that like got you to bring down maybe some of your walls, like with the people that were on your team, the people that you were around? Because we're not taught that, right? We're not taught vulnerability. Yeah, I'll answer that. I do want to make a note that um, this episode, obviously, I've rewatched it a bunch of times. And the reason that storyline with Dr. Sharon is really hard now is that in August of 2022, I lost a dear friend in a biking accident. And honestly, like, I don't even know if I fully processed or how to talk about it. Um, So if I'm holding back in any sense around that plot line, it's just because it feels still raw to me. Anyway, so there's that. Virginia, I cannot believe I forgot about that. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I had planned to talk about it. I honestly like, I'm not a mess, but I'm kind of really discombobulated about it. But, um, but let me come back to what you asked me about being vulnerable or sort of showing my vulnerability with team members. I, okay, there was, there was a time when I got sort of my hand slapped for um, sending an email where my manager at the time felt like I was going around her. And to me, I was like, well, I was just like sending the message to the person who could answer it and what have you. And so she modeled some vulnerability for me. She's like, look, I get it. And I'm not trying to gatekeep, but I just recently got promoted and I'm trying to prove myself that like, I am a good manager of my team. And I'm just worried that if that it, it might be interpreted as like, you going around me now, whether this is valid or not or whatever, but like she showed some vulnerability with me that I, that is powerful. Yeah. I remember to this day. And, um, and so I think about that. There were moments when then I was the manager and I was really wound tight about like, Oh, how are they going to interpret the team? If the team's not doing this, it's a, it's, it's going to reflect poorly on me. And, led me to be a bit of a control freak at times and not quite a micromanager, but kind of a little, a little bit touching on that. And it wasn't until someone basically told me someone on my team, look, Virginia, we get it. We get that you're our biggest fan. We get that you want our team to look awesome. And you are like a great role model and you are a great teacher. However, when you do everything yourself, you're actually not Mm. teaching us. You're taking away opportunities for us to learn. And that was really a wonderful reframe for me. Um, And so moving forward again, so like I had that one manager that modeled vulnerability. I had the team member that told me that. So it allowed me down the line to be more vulnerable and say like, look, this is what keeps me up at night team. And I'm not saying that you're doing it, but I just want to be really honest with you. And so if I sometimes behave this way, it's because this is what worries me. And it 
they were like, oh, got it. Like, yeah, you're dealing with challenges and conversations that we are not privy to. Thank you for letting us know so that we get the full picture of what you're juggling. They ha- they would then have more empathy for me. So anyway, long-winded way of saying absolutely, I was able to model vulnerability, but only because other people did it for me first. I, that's such a great story. And hearing it um, at the same time as that manager that had an impact on you. Like, I don't know what the order was of that, but, you know, I, I we were talking about this today. Sometimes we have to keep learning the same lessons over and over again for them to stick in different yeah. ways. And, and that's how we get, you know, we get to a place of growth. Yeah. It was scary, though, you know, like I, I mean, I want to hear your story, too. But for me, it was definitely scary. Like, I don't want people to think I don't have my shit together. I don't want people to think (laughs) I don't like it's like um, that that is a big thing with me. So to to show vulnerability and to admit that I things are messy is hard does not come naturally. Yeah. So I think that my story, well, twofold. First of all, my second company, I started writing and a lot of leadership content. And so anytime you're teaching content, that's when you learn the most, like from a scientific standpoint, right? You retain like 80% of what you, of what you learn whenever you're teaching something. So it's like, I'd be like reading all these articles and books and like checking off all the ways I'd like screwed up with people, right? Um, that was just a huge learning experience, but I would say that the biggest thing happened when I had my first son. So like, I did not realize, I know that this sounds crazy, but I did not realize like what an impact having a child was going to have on me. Like I'd always been used to my brain working really fast, being in charge of my emotions And all of a sudden I got back to work and my brain was in a fog. Like I couldn't remember anything. Like I would just watch the clock for every second until I could go see him. If I had a work trip, you know, happening, it would just like, it would, it would eat me alive. So it like, and then, and then my work started suffering. And then, and then, you know, a lot of people I worked with hadn't had children. And so like, they couldn't really understand and I didn't understand. And, and I didn't want to tell anybody. I didn't want to like, be like, mm. I'm kind of broken right now. But, but once I did, like once I did, and I was like, I am like, something is like, I am not like, nothing is working with me. Like, and I, and I put down that, that wall, like all of my relationships started to improve. And like, I'm not a, I've been reading a lot on perfectionism lately and I'm not like a classic case perfectionist, right? Cause I have ADHD and I'm kind of messy and I'm like an all, I'm an out there kind of person, but I am, but I do like for a, for, for who I am as a person, my perfectionism is like, I want to be like a high achiever and people to see me as this way and this way. And, and, and it's the same thing, whether you're a classic case or you're a sloppy case, like me, you gotta let all that, (laughs) you gotta let all that crap, like go away so that you can actually be yourself. Yeah. Um, it kind of also reminds me of this moment in the episode where I was wondering, like, 
does Nate actually have empathy? And the reason Ooh. I bring that up is because at- Virginia, are we going to have this fight again? <laughs> no, no. Well, well, yes, maybe in just a second. But just to bridge Keep these going. two, just to bridge these two concepts, um, it's so funny because we often assume people won't be able to empathize with us, and so we withhold. Ooh, interesting, and yet we ourselves have so much empathy for others, and you see this with like Ted. He has so much empathy for Doctor Sharon. And yet doesn't have enough empathy for himself when he needs to be the patient or needs the help. Right. And so it's, it's this really interesting relationship. And like what you were saying is like you held back all those things like that you were struggling with as a new parent kind of implied is because you worry people might not empathize. Right. Anyway. And so Nate, I really actually still don't, I want to be on, continue my hiatus of not talking <laughs> about Nate, but um. <laughs> But I, I, I do wonder, I do wonder if he, I think he does not have empathy the way he's like when like Ted had an emergency and then, you know, Roy had to leave. And it's just like, it's always about him. He makes it about mm -hmm. him. He doesn't put himself in someone else's shoes. Right. And so anyway, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, my last point and support of Nate, even though I also think he's terrible, is that I was noticing in this episode how he goes into the so he goes into the room and Roy and Beard have this funny scene where they're just sitting there like staring at each other in silence. And Nate comes in and talks to them and like they don't give him the time of day. They don't really acknowledge his presence. And I was like, this isn't. Like, I don't know. I know Nate stinks, but also he gets bullied a little bit, in my opinion, too. Like, I think that it's just a perfect storm of, like, no one talking to him, no one communicating roles and responsibilities, no one helping him think through this process, no one even taking it. You got a psychologist here. No one's like, hey, Nate, you're a first-time leader who has daddy issues. Why don't you go talk to the psychologist, right? Yeah. Like, no one's throwing Nate a bone is all I'm saying. I yeah, I agree with that. No one's sort of other than Beard giving him feedback, no one's really like trying to scaffold him and provide him the support he needs. But I will say, like, sort of when he walks in, Keely had just left. Keely came and asked Roy and Beard, hey, I've got this opportunity for one of the coaches to be a spokesperson for this brand. They were not interested. Three seconds later, Nate comes in. He's like, hey, everybody, I'm going to be a spokesperson. Now, <laughs> I hear what you're saying, that they weren't very kind or welcoming or more gregarious or what have you. But they also did not say, yeah, great. We, we were offered first and we turned it down. Like, they didn't do that because they know. I, th I think in a way, like, their omission of that is they're like, yep, we get it. Nate's sort of in this phase. And if that's what's going to make him happy, great. Because they could have burst his bubble and they didn't. Okay. All right. We're, we, I, I see your perspective and I honor it. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> before we get into the Jamie Tart uh, relationship with his father and how this all plays out in the locker room after that terrible game. I do want to touch on something slightly more funny in that the haircut that Isaac gives Sam. Okay. Well, have you ever gotten a haircut in the office, Kara? 
No, I have not, nor have I ever heard anyone that has gotten a haircut in the office. Have you gotten a haircut in an office, Virginia? <laughs> Funny you should ask. Yes. Okay, so... <laughs> um, it was... I was... It, working in New York, I was working for a recruiting agency with these wonderful women of city staffing. And um, obviously, this is a podcast, you can't see me. But for the most of my life, I've had bangs, right? It's a, it's a bold choice, but I think they look better on my face. So I go with it. Okay. They were getting long. And one of my coworkers, Faye, was like, you need to trim your bangs. And I'm like, I know, I know, I'll, I'll trim them or I'll make an appointment for someone to like, trim my bangs. She's like, I can do it. I trim my daughter's bangs all the time. Okay. So she grabs basically a pair of scissors, like office scissors, like off her desk out of like, you know, like the little like cup that holds your pencils and pens and scissors. Like she grabs those and comes at me. And let me tell you, I did not. This was like the worst idea. And I knew it was going to be terrible, but I did not have the guts I was like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'll just, I'll just trim them later or make an appointment. She's like, no, let me do it. Sit down, sit still. <laughs> I was like, um, but yeah, I did not have the guts to say no. And I let her cut my bangs and um, they looked awful. They really did. I looked like the target lady that sketch from SNL <laughs> for a little while. Um, <laughs> we could probably do a whole nother episode on the bad things that happen when you don't trust your gut and you just go along with things. <laughs> yeah. Get a bad bang haircut. That was 20 years ago. And I still think about it as like, gosh, Virginia, like get a backbone. <laughs> like stick up for yourself. I know. It's those moments where you deceive yourself or you don't listen to yourself that like they, they hang on you the most. Yeah. I had, I, I was tell I was just telling this story yesterday, actually, where I, there, I had in my last company, this really awesome project. Um, it was with this company that comes in and, and it draws a metaphor of like the past, present and the future of your company to like help take all the employees through an experience. Right. So for instance, when they did it with like Pepsi, it was like, people's like how people consume beverages and how their taste of beverages is changing. And they, and then, then they have questions and you ask questions about like, you know, what would you do? What if, would a business strategy be, et cetera. It's a really, really cool exercise. So I was introducing it to my last company. Whenever I started halfway through the project, they bring in this guy. Oh my God. He's just, he was like a walking mansplaining, like, just like tool right like that that guy you have that's just like a tool in your head that was him wait is this the guy that was also my former colleague was this the same situation it was i'm sure <laughs> they were hatched out of the same egg <laughs> okay so not the guy that i know but some someone akin to that guy okay yeah right they probably had the same name um so anyways he like didn't listen to anything I told him. We had a really casual company and, and, and like the first time he met the executive team, he showed up in like a full blown suit. And I was like, bro, we do not wear suits here. They're going to boot you out of the room. This is a tech company. And he like, wouldn't listen to me. Everything that I said, he like interrupted and mansplained. And like, I should have got him kicked off that project. Like I should have fired him as a client and like demanded somebody new because I knew it was going to go bad. And he soured relationships with everybody. And we ended up not doing the project. And I still think about it to this day. Like when you feel something, you got to act on it. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's hard. I mean, it's hard. I mean, I think it comes with confidence. I think it comes with time only because, well, it comes with confidence in yourself. And for some people that just takes time, you have to go through a couple of reps. You have to sort of live through a couple of companies and jobs and teams to be like, oh, okay. Like, it's like, I'm actually like pretty good. Like, I got it now. Like, but yeah until you build your mental model or sort of you know you you gain enough perspective like having confidence is easier said than done right so totally 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 i um speaking of trusting your gut and sort of what we say and don't say there ted in this episode uses a line that i that drives me nuts okay so they they lost terribly Right. And even from the beginning, when they're walking out and onto the field and it's huge and Wembley Stadium's huge, like, and I get it. Ted's trying to get them to calm down, but he's downplaying it. He's downplaying all of it. Like, no big deal. It's not a big deal. This isn't a big deal. Like, it is a freaking big deal. It is a semi final game. It is a big deal, Ted, right? Like, there's a way to talk about that. I get it that he doesn't want to freak him out, but there was so, this constant downplaying of the situation. And then when they lose terribly and Coach Beard is just physically upset, Ted says to him, it is what it is, Coach. And mm. I almost look because I can't stand it is what it is. <laughs> I can't stand that phrase. Um, so I don't know. Do you have the same reaction to that phrase? I do not. <laughs> How do you interpret? But I do think I do think that I use that phrase and drive <laughs> other people like my husband completely insane. <laughs> Uh, okay i see i see you are the is it is what it is or like you are the one that does it <laughs> but okay so then what does it mean to you so okay so then explain to me i really I, it, sincerely here i am showing some empathy i want to know when you say that what are you feeling and what is it that you're trying to convey to the other person Okay, I don't know if I fully unpacked this with myself, but and it might be a coping mechanism too, right? Um, so just we're doing some live therapy right now on pop on leadership. So I just I just don't like I don't think an emotional reaction. Uh, and again, I don't know if this is right or wrong. I, I don't think an emotional reaction whenever something is done is going to cause any good, right? So like, it really is what it is. Like things are going to unfold the way that they're going to unfold. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to, and maybe that's what it is, right? Is that like, I'm going to do something about it. Like behind the scenes, I'm like creating a strategy, but I don't want people around me to freak out. So it's like, it's how, like, I, I would do something like that to calm people down. Cause I don't want to, I, I like, I like harmony, right? Like my personality type likes harmony. And so whenever people are like, when there's a bunch of emotions all around me, I like, I don't like that. So I like, mm. I think it, I, it's like a way of calming people down, but I, but now I'm thinking about it. Like it probably doesn't work at all. Well, I think it, it depends for me, the way I interpret it, or at least when I think back to the moments when it's been said to me and I, I get really even upset, I feel like one, there's a couple of things at play. Sometimes when someone's like, well, it is what it is. And I'm like, 
this could have, this was preventable. We saw this coming. Mm. We, if we had followed a plan, if we had taken the steps necessary, this wouldn't have happened. So to say it is what it is, it's like someone who's coming in at the last minute hasn't paid attention at all and is in a position of authority where it's not a big deal to them, but someone who's been working hard towards winning the game or getting something over the finish mm. line or whatever, it feels like you're, you don't recognize how much effort goes into actually doing something well and that this could have been preventable had you supported me. Yeah. So here's a question for you on that then. What would, what would work in that moment? Well, my response is completely unrealistic, but what I would love, what I would have loved in that very specific moment, there's been many moments when people say this to me, but in that specific moment that I'm referencing, I would have loved it if this guy was like, I know you kind of warned me about this and I didn't listen. I'm sorry. I didn't listen to you. Next time we'll take your approach. Got it. See, Hey, listen, that's good advice. But that has a lot of assumptions baked in and that he was actually listening, that he thought I had a good idea, that he was willing to listen. <laughs> like, there's a lot of assumptions baked into that. And I think what bothers me the most is probably that, that, like, I didn't feel heard. I wasn't, he didn't take mm. me seriously in the first place. And then when something fails, oh, it is what it is. Like, I just feel very dismissed. And more generally, when people say, it is what it is to me, or it's, we can't change it or what have you. There are moments when that is sort of the Buddhist monk response that we just have to be in the present and mm -hmm. can't undo the past and can't worry about the future. I respect some aspects of that, but when it feels like someone's not trying or someone is trying to like, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. We'll get them next time. I think it's like, you're invalidating my feelings. I'm upset. Mm. I am angry. I feel betrayed. I, whatever, whatever emotion you are. And when someone's like, well, just be happy you're alive. You know, like, or it's like, <laughs> it is what it is. It's just, I'm like, can you just acknowledge that it's a shitty situation? So you don't have to gaslight me or make me seem out to be the most negative person here. Like, acknowledge that this loss was terrible because otherwise like if ted is like well it is what it is i'd be like so do you or do you not care about this team winning mm, that would be my question yeah and i think that's why beard was so upset yeah totally anyway. hey virginia it is what it is <laughs> <laughs> you're lucky i like you okay um let's we got to talk about Jamie and his dad because it is probably one of the most gut-wrenching oh, scenes every time in I TV. Cry. In this in and definitely in this in the show and I would say in TV. It is just a very gut-wrenching raw moment between a father and son. Do you want to talk about what happens? Yeah. Um, so what happens is, I mean, we all know that Jamie's dad is an asshole and what's, what's, we have an interesting thread in this scene and, and throughout this season where Jamie's really 
trying to unpack and heal from all the damage that his dad has done to him. And it's, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thread throughout the season. So it comes to a point in this episode. So his dad goes with all of his buddies and they're just being like, they're just being bros up in the stands. He's wearing his Man City jersey and, you know, he's like talking crap to the crowd. And then he comes in the locker room and he's just belittling Jamie and he's just telling him that he didn't do a good job. He's belittling the team and gets up into Jamie's face and Jamie sets a boundary. And Jamie is like, do not talk to me like that. Like you need to stop. And then he ends up punching his dad in the face. Yeah. And then Beard and then Beard takes him out and then shoves his head into the door frame on his way out, which is like a beautiful scene. For sure. And then Roy, the whole I mean, the whole locker room is in shock. I mean, that's when you actually see empathy on the faces mm-hmm. of these players. And they're just, I think, in shock that they don't know what to do. And Roy crosses the entire locker room and just gives doesn't let go of jamie gives him this hug and doesn't let go and just lets him start crying right it's very beautiful scene so beautiful can you imagine like if if you were someone that was watching ted lasso that had a dad like that like because a lot of people do right like that that character caricature of a person of a father is is actual i mean i'm from texas so i know that it's real life right uh and like I don't know. I just cannot, I like, it touches me so much and I have like the softest, warmest dad in the world. Um, so like, yeah. I can't imagine if somebody does have kind of like a toxic father figure like that, like yeah. what kind of emotion it brings up. Yeah. Some guy who like talks down to you is always like, take, take, take. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the other thing that's interesting too, cause it's come up a couple times in this season is like, And Higgins talks about it too a little bit. It's like when you can start to see your parents as people, are you able to start forgiving them? And and we talked about this in past episodes too, about sort of parenting your parent and reparenting yourself. But in this moment, what came up for me was Jamie, I think, has been holding on so long because it's like, it's my dad. It's my dad. It's my dad. It's my dad. I got to make this. Like, I got to. It's my dad. It's my dad. And then when he's like, I wouldn't let anyone else talk to me this way. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm looking at my dad as a person and just forget that he's like, and and I'm not doing this out of obligation. Like I don't like who he is. And that's a very hard thing to admit. And I think that's what Jamie kind of came to the conclusion is like, I just have to admit that like, I just don't like this guy. <laughs> I don't like him as a person. Yeah. Um. That's hard. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Jamie hasn't had any boundaries with his father and his father's just been taking everything he can from this person. And then the moment he does, you see that resistance that it's like, it gets really, really ugly. So yeah. I, I, yeah. Boundaries. Are, I mean, I know we talk about this a lot, but it's, and what's, and when I first started learning about boundaries, it was the first time I had heard about it. I think I was 32 years old at the time. Right. Or I was like yeah. 31. I had never 
I had never heard about it before and it blew my mind whenever I had, you know, I had someone be like, Hey, you, you don't have to accept behavior from people. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) But now, now it, now it's everywhere, right? It's on TikTok. You hear it all over social media. Anything that has to do with wellness is, is saying like, take care of your boundaries. And I think what has happened with boundaries is that it's become this common nomenclature, but people don't understand the sentiment behind it. It's kind of like loving yourself. Like everyone's like, love yourself. Okay. Yeah, you should. But that's a very deep concept as well. So boundaries is easy. My point is on all of this is that this scene shows us how difficult setting boundaries is. And and that's an important point is that, yes, it's everywhere, but you need to learn about it. And before you go into it, really understand that, like, if you're a people pleaser, this this is going to be hard and it's going to keep being hard. I also think that when you are either, whether it's setting boundaries or cutting ties in certain relationships, again, it's like, protect your energy, do it for yourself, prioritize yourself. However, there is a shift that you make within yourself. You are letting go of a part of yourself that you've known for decades often, that setting boundaries or cutting ties with toxic people, there's also an element of grieving. There is grief, mourning, mm-hmm. even though you're mourning this former self, this this former relationship. And even though you know it's toxic, even though you know it's the right thing to do, you are saying goodbye to something that you lived most of your life with. And I don't think people recognize that part as well of like the grieving and mourning that comes and the pain that comes when you can finally set boundaries and move on or cut ties. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, um, like related to this too, I think, you know, you and I kind of always made a deal that we wouldn't talk too much about our parents on this, just in case they listen. (laughs) But for, for me, it's not so much a boundary thing. I think for me that the sort of pain, pain, most painful thing is sometimes like, I don't want to call it like it's my it's my growth sometimes is not acknowledged because I think my parents need me to show up the way I did when I was 14 for them to justify their behavior. And so now when I show up as like, I'm not saying a fully formed adult, I'm still learning and growing and evolving and changing my mind on things, but a more evolved version than I was at 13 or 14 I I think like there's a lot of baiting that happens, right? They sort of play the role of my parent with the assumption that the person playing the role across from them is going to be Virginia at 13. And when I don't show up as that Mm. character and I show up as this new character, it breaks down. Like imagine a play and all of a sudden there's a character swap. That person's like, hold on a second. Like (laughs) we rehearsed these lines for decades. Wait a minute. You're not saying the lines I expected (laughs) you to say. Like I've lost my cues. Like I I don't know how to respond to this. Like, do I go stage left or stage right? And it like short circuits my parents um, because they, I think they've just gotten so used to that one dynamic. And that's painful Mm. for me sometimes because you're like, okay, don't give in, don't give in, don't behave like that 14 year old, don't give in, don't give in. And it's just like, they just keep showing up in that same way. And it's, um, 
anyway, that's been my challenge. So it's, it's, it's not quite boundaries, but it's, it's how do they respond when you show growth and evolution? Yeah, I think that that's a really, I mean, obviously I relate to that. And um, I mean, if we're being really honest, our parents' generation did not, they did not invest in this self-awareness. They did not invest in healing in the same way that hopefully more of our generation is. So like now we're going on these learning paths and we might be passing them up and that's uncomfortable for them, right? Because they haven't, they haven't, taken a time to go and explore themselves so they want they want everything just to stay the same when we're like no we've been hurting for a long time and we don't want to hurt anymore and i'd really like it if you just came along this journey but just a side note you cannot change anybody yeah you can't get anybody else to go to therapy you can't get anybody else to read a book literally the only thing we can control in this life even your children you can't control them the only thing you can control is yourself and the yeah, I, 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 every day, like the, like the getting the lesson over and over again, that I, I feel like that's my personal lesson is that the only thing I can, can do for my surroundings is do things for myself or decide how I show up, what I show up to, yeah. what I say and don't say. Yeah, no, for sure. I like as an adult, as someone who now has children of my own, every time I interact with my parents, there's a lot of like, okay, like I'm, I'm hyper aware of the only thing I can control is how am I going to show up? What am I going to react to or not react to? Where am I going to put my energy so that we don't sort of fall into those old patterns? Totally. And easier said than done. <laughs> totally. Well, gosh, this, this was uh, a little bit of Ted Lasso, a little bit of therapy, a little bit of everything. <laughs> You know, what's interesting is this, okay, so this episode, you know, they lose the game and then, and then Ted goes outside because we're talking about vulnerability today. And we, I think we got open up and vulnerable today too. And he goes out and he actually calls Dr. Sharon and he lets her know that when he was 16 years old, his dad took his own life. And so, you know, it's like a, like this big event happens and then Ted is starting to actually be vulnerable. And I think that we're going to see that him being more self-aware and vulnerable is going to end up having good results on the people that he's serving on his team. Yeah, for sure. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging in there with us on this heavy episode, but we <laughs> certainly um, feel lighter after it <laughs> got a lot off our chest. So uh, join us next time and uh, comment on our social media. If there's other things you want us to explore or other shows you want us to dive into. Thanks everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.